All right, thanks so much, uh, Tim and Elizabeth. If you want to open up to Mark chapter 3, we'll get started there today. About 10 years ago, I was in a group, a really unique group of pastors from global cities around the world, and we would get together once a year uh, for a time of learning. It was a mutual learning uh, group, and we would travel to a global city. There was a big church back in D.C. that was sponsoring it, so I got to go travel for free. And every time we'd get together, there was this group of of pastors from everywhere. Um, I remember the first trip I I went on was in Beirut and Lebanon. And to get out of the airport and get into a van and start driving through the city and uh, met, met the driver, and he's speaking to me in English, and I get into the van, and there's a bunch of pastors in this van and as we're driving behind the row behind me, I hear them, they're, they're speaking in German. And I know it's German because it sounds angry. So I'm like, oh, they must be from Germany. Okay. And then ahead of me, the row ahead of me, they were speaking in this language that I've never heard of before. It was this bizarre language. It was Hungarian. If you ever heard hung- that, that language, it's like, it, it's just a, completely different than a lot of the European languages. And then we pulled up to this checkpoint, and the driver who had communicated with me in English spoke uh, to the, the police officer in Arabic, and then he turned around and said something in French to the other pastor that was in the passenger seat. And I'm sitting there in the van hearing all of these different languages, and I had this, just this reminder, like here in this small van, there's this representation of this global church, and reminded of how vast and diverse and large this church is that we're a part of. Uh, God's church, the body of Christ, here on earth. And when I would go on these trips, I got to go and see the body of Christ working in places uh, in South Africa, in the Middle East, over in China, um, even in D.C. Like, you got to go and see all these different places where the church was at work. And, And there was this humbling experience to know that I'm a part of this big story. There's something so much bigger going on. Um, In that group, in that van, of course, us Americans were the only ones that weren't bilingual, right? Like, everyone else had, like, multiple languages. Um, But in that group, I got to experience the vastness of the kingdom of God's church. It's something that is global, and it's historic, and uh, and it's it's just this wonderful community. I want to open with that because as we turn to Mark 3, we start to see the vastness of Jesus' mission, even this early in Jesus' story. This mission that, that Jesus is, has come to this earth for, uh, you start to see how it transcends uh, borders. This is a, a big mission. In Mark 3, verse 17, we're going to read through 19. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, in the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because, the crowd he, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For they had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. 
These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, which sounds like a country band. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, by the way. Goes through this list of the apostles. When you read this passage, you find in Mark's style that he, he always is highlighting Jesus' action. He doesn't get caught up in a lot of the details. His style of writing, uh, the best analogy I heard is it might be like the NFL red zone. Like it's just the highlights, right? And as we look at these highlights of Jesus, we catch glimpses of the action of what he's doing. But this story starts with Jesus retreating. And if you remember the story last week, we just ended these five stories in Mark of just controversies. And he moves from the controversies into a time of trying to retreat and to get away. After finishing these five stories, the Pharisees are plotting against him. They're, they're trying to, to find a reason uh, to get him in trouble. And, and you think like this would be, you know, for Jesus, something that hinders him. But then this next story, you find this huge crowd, this multitude of people are coming to him. It says that there's a, a, in the Greek, a plethos, a plethora of people who are coming to Jesus. And they're coming because they're being healed and they're being set free. This work of Jesus is, is healing people and he's setting people free. And it tells us that they're from everywhere. Now this, this message of Jesus has, has started to spread, and they're coming from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea. This is the Greek form of this word Edom. Uh, it's this Old Testament uh, region, uh, a place where uh, the, the Jewish people didn't get along with. They would do a lot of fights with them. Uh, it's where I, uh, most scholars think that's where modern day, like Petra is. And Petra is important because, you know, it, Eventually what would happen is Indiana Jones would find the Holy Grail there. So all the way down there, like people, people are coming to see Jesus. Um, and there's, there's multitudes of them all the way from the regions beyond the Jordan to the Tyre and Sidon. I got to see those old towns when I was in Lebanon. But this message of Jesus is starting to transcend the borders of his hometown, transcend the borders of his home country. And he's just getting started. And you have all these people represented. It has like this Acts 2 feel. Like people are gathered from everywhere. And what Mark is trying to communicate here with this presence of Jesus in the world is that this a very large crowd from diverse and distant locations gather around Jesus in Galilee. This mission of what Jesus is accomplishing, that there are people from all over here. It's, it covers like each different corner of, 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 of the, the region. Like it's the north, it's the south, it's the east. People are coming from everywhere to experience Jesus. And they're finding healing and freedom. And the Pharisees are upset with Jesus. He's upset the religious establishment. But as he turns the corner into this story, there's all of these people coming to him. Jesus is here for those who are broken and hurting and lost. His heart goes out to those who are suffering. It's this reminder that all of these people who come to Jesus, this is an old story. 
And even as the church today, we are a part of this old story. We're a part of something that's so much bigger than what is happening here. And what is happening here is so exciting. But when we see the scope and the vastness of of Jesus's mission, it's so hard to not be just parochial with our view of what the church is. And we're excited for what the church is here. And we're excited for what we're doing. But we're part of this big mission that is vast and diverse. We're this local expression of this presence of Jesus in this community. Then he goes up onto this mountainside, again trying to get away, trying to retreat. And it says in verse 13, again, he went up onto a mountainside and he called those to whom he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority, to drive out demons. There's this delegation now that's happening. And then he goes and he names, you know, the 12. We have Simon and James and John, you have uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, all of these names, what you find is, is he tells a little bit about each, each name, and we, we know even looking back, you have Matthew in here, Levi, we talked about him a few weeks ago, this is a tax collector, this is a guy that would be seen as unpatriotic for his country, he's sold out, right, this is a guy who was an outcast, and then you have a zealot in here, right, Simon the zealot, this guy would have been like, uh, a vigil, like he, he, was, uh, he, he was ready to throw the Romans out by force. Like this was a patriot. He, he, he wanted to kick the Romans out and he was willing to do anything. He was willing to die. He was willing to kill. He comes from this group that was radical. And here in the group of, in the disciples, in this delegation that Jesus is starting, he brings people from both sides of the, both extremes. He brings people who are Fishermen, ordinary people. For Jesus, all of these ways that the world defines them, the world tells them that they're worth, all of that set aside, there's something here that transcends the way the world defines who they are. They've set that aside for this mission of Jesus that is so compelling, that is so big, that is so vast. The mission of Jesus is made up from people, of people from all different backgrounds, even here with these 12 apostles. And they found unity in this common mission that transcends all of their differences. They set those aside for something bigger. We're a part of this story. We're a part of something so much more, even here in Phoenix. And then as he calls them to them, that he gives them this mission as he starts to delegate his work. And there's two things that he commissions them to do in this story. And the first is this. He commissions them to be with him. That's it. To come and to be with him. To spend time with him. To be in his presence. Life with Jesus. That's the first mission of these apostles. That's the first mission of the church. It's to be with Jesus. And he commissioned them to be, they were commissioned to be with Jesus so they might do the things that Jesus does. But they're not able to do that until they've been with Jesus. The story that we're a part of comes down to this life with Christ. Life with Christ is essential, it's the priority. And oftentimes we get caught up in the doing and not the being. We're people who are created to be in union with God, in fellowship with him, in relationship with God. 
We use language like a personal relationship, but it comes down to this friendship with our creator. And here Jesus is commissioning these people with a sacred task. He first and foremost calls them to be with him. This is where life is found, in the presence of Jesus. Augustine, uh, one of the, the old church fathers, uh, you know, famous for, I, I believe he's the one that said, Lord, you know, make me chase, just not yet. Uh, really smart guy, pursued all sorts of things in this life and realized that nothing, he found fulfillment in nothing. And eventually, as he wrote this book, Confessions, talks about all the different things that he had pursued and tried to fill his life up with and, and tried to find meaning in and purpose And he has this famous statement that thou hast made thyself, me for thyself, Lord. And my heart is restless until it rests in thee. We are created to be with God. This is where our true contentment comes. This is where our true life is found. As a pastor, uh, I, I, you know, work for a church. And if you spend enough time with the church, you're probably going to have your heart broken. You're probably going to be disappointed Um, You know, church life is messy. It's hard. It's not easy. It's exhausting. And especially because it's like we get hurt by people in the church and they're the people who should know better, right? And you go through seasons when you are in community with people. Community is just difficult to do. And I remember going through a season where I was just exhausted by the church, fed up with it. Um, You know, I I would, I, you know, I love love Jesus. I just didn't want to have to love people, right? Um, not a good place to be in a pastor. I, I, was, I was burnt out and exhausted. And I, I remember, you know, just uh, from that exhaustion and feeling that burnout, uh, I, I ended up picking up a book by this author named Sky Jathani that was just so helpful for me. Um, and uh, the book was called With. And it was just, uh, it's reimagining our, our relationship with God. And, and he talks about all these different postures that we take with God and and. and and especially doing church work, like we, we can get so busy doing work and ministry um, that, uh, that we just get burnt out. And, and we forget that we, we're called to life with God. That, and, and from that life with God, we, we find uh, really, really the, the life that we are looking, the life that we are looking for. Um, sometimes we get that mixed up and we get busy in the doing and not the being. And he had this line where he talks about this, this call to communion with God that has stuck with me. It says, the call is to live in continual communion with God. Uh, means that every person's life, no matter how mundane, is elevated to sacred heights. And I just, I've been thinking about that, that phrase, the sacred heights that we have with our life with God. It has no, nothing to do with how productive we are, how uh, successful we are, elevated uh, to the sacred heights has to do with our communion with God. Jesus first tells the apostles he's going to delegate work to them. He says, come be with me first and foremost. As a church, we need to be this place that just abides in Christ. That is where the sacred heights come from, this connection we have with our creator. John 15 talks about this abiding. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from it, you can do nothing. It's a pretty big statement. Jesus is saying, apart from this, there's nothing you can do. 
Life is about life with Christ. And when Jesus calls these apostles with a mission, he says, come be with me. There's that famous story in Acts chapter 4 with Peter and John who are uh, amazing the crowds with their boldness. And they look at them as these uneducated common men, but they're astonished and they can tell these are people who have been with Jesus. This Christian life, this church life that we're a part of starts with abiding in Christ. Spending time with our creator. Then it says, you know, to, to be with Jesus and then they're sent by Jesus with this task. They're sent by Jesus with a mission. The word apostle, in fact, means the sent ones, to be sent out. If you look at the... Uh, you know, that, how, how this word comes together, it actually is this old Greek nautical term, which is to, to set out on a journey, to go out on a mission. And these people have been set out on a mission by Jesus as apostles. And they have a couple things that they're told to do. One is, with this delegation, they're told Jesus gives them a message, and he says to preach it. This good news, this proclamation, that the kingdom of heaven is near. This good news is proclamation that a victory has been won, that, that Jesus is here. When we think about this message that we have as a church, that we proclaim it every single week, that we proclaim it throughout the week. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, For what I have received, I have passed on to you. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and rises from the dead. This message that we have is sacred, that true life is found in Christ. Life that is eternal. Life that comes from God loving us so much that he came to this earth. That he shows us what it means to be human. That he shows us what true love is. That he takes on the sin and the suffering of the world on the cross. That he conquers it. That he conquers death. That he rises from the dead. That he says life itself is grace. This is this message that we're a part of. That we've been entrusted with as his church where true life is found here in Jesus. There's this gospel message, and then he gives them power. He says he gives them authority to do the things that he is doing. There's a kingdom-mindedness to what we do as a church. And the gospel is this thing that happened in our past that makes way for our future. The kingdom is something that's in our future that we catch glimpses of now. And we participate in this kingdom life as kingdom citizens here and now, being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We've been empowered by Jesus. We've been given authority by Jesus to join him in his work of renewal, of restoration, of bringing about healing and freedom for people. We're a part of something more. We're a part of something sacred. When it comes to us joining these two churches together, what does that mean for us? It means that we have this perspective that what's happening here is special and we hold it up and we're excited and we contextualize it to this community. But we keep in mind this story that we're a part of is so much bigger than just this place and so much bigger than what I expect the church to be or what I want the church to be. We join God in this renewal and reconciliation project that's global and historic. There's a couple of phrases that have been on my mind, even uh, as we were just a church plant meeting in a middle school, but this reminder that we are a part of something old. We're a part of something very old, thousands of years old, as we see the story of Jesus. 
But even for Paradise Church, been part of something that's been around for, what, 40 years? 40 years, that's like 140 years in church life, right? I mean, that, even Desert City, we've been around for almost seven. We're all part of something that has history and legacy. We're part of something that has heritage, and that's unique and special. But we're also part of something new. For us, the new church plant was brand new. It was like this blank slate where we could just create whatever we wanted. When you think of the history of the church, though, even paradise is part of something new. Uh, If you look at it, 2,000 years since Jesus was here, 40 years isn't very long. Every church has life cycles. For both of these congregations coming together, we're starting this new life cycle. There's this newness to this season. And And there's babies here now. There's new life. It's exciting to be a part of something new. And we're trying to do this merger in the midst of a pandemic. It's extremely challenging. It's hard because it's been a hard year. But as we come out of COVID, as we come out of this pandemic, the newness, the excitement, eventually uh, there will be a new season. And we're excited for that. But then we're also a part of something more. And we see these disciples of Jesus, these apostles, who set aside their own uh, agenda, their own preferences, their own things that define them for this mission of Jesus. They know they're a part of something more, and this mission has an urgency to it, a proclamation of kingdom living. Part of something old, we're part of something new, we're a part of something more. Over the next uh, year, what the rest of this year looks like, we've been putting together plans, and it's hard to make any plans, even today. We've had to call an audible to come inside. Uh, we're trying to figure all this out. A couple things to just put on uh, your, your radar uh, is that uh, we're going to have a, a, a vision night on March 25th. Um, we're going to have it outside. It's going to be uh, a dinner Um, A time for us to just share the vision of of what this is, where this is heading, what the timeline looks like, what it means to be a part of it, how to get involved, what the the financial plan is. Yes, we we have a financial plan. We want to be good stewards. Someone cheered for that. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Uh, And and a night of just casting vision. Um, On Easter, I think it's April 4th uh, this year, um, is, is... a time of, I think it's like a soft launch of us saying this is, this is together. We've got a lot of work that's been happening behind the scenes, uh, trying to figure out the, the legal side of it. Um, it's super fun, let me tell you. Uh, but but those, those talks are, are progressing, and, and, uh, and, and we're just we're trying to figure out the best way to get it done. Um, but Easter is that, that day of celebration of a soft launch of this new thing that's together. And then uh, we're looking at September 12th, the Sunday after Labor Day, because I know Phoenicians and I know, you know, everyone's gone in the summertime and then everyone's gone, you know, for every three-day weekend and all that. But after September 12th, or September 12th is the day that we would we'd call the grand opening of this new thing, and there's a lot of work to do before then. Um, this gives us time to be together over the next, I don't, I'm not good at math, was that five months or something like that? Um, it's going to be a season of us, as us uh, being together with each other and with Jesus. Um, and we want to invite new people into that uh, and, and invite people to, to, to jump on board because uh, the mission that we have is great. Um, but it'll be a time of assimilation for the two churches. 
And then the hope is to really do an outreach and push as we do a grand opening uh, September 12th, um, in which we were, were uh, hopefully firing on all cylinders. We're, we're trying to navigate when it's a good time to have everything open, a, a safe time uh, to be good uh, stewards of this property, to be good neighbors to this community, um, and, and to be in tune with the Spirit is, is leading us to do as a church. We're a part of something old. We're a part of something new. We're a part of something more, and we're excited. We believe this is a new season where God is calling us to this mission, and the invitation is to join in, to join in with us, uh, to, to participate, to use your giftings in different ways, to tell people about it, um, and we believe that God's up to something good. So today as we, we see this first calling of these disciples, of these apostles in Acts chapter, th- or Acts chapter 3, of Mark chapter 3, we're reminded that this calling of Jesus is, is for us as well as his followers. The mission hasn't changed. We have a proclamation of our message. We have the living of the kingdom that we participate in. So hopefully those dates are on your, on, up on the, yeah, I think we have them. But more information will be coming soon on that. But let's pray today. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for your love for us, Lord. We see in your heart how you invite us to join this great work. We live in a world that's broken, that's dark, that's full of suffering. We see that in relationships. We see that this year even with our bodies. We're reminded that things aren't as they should be, but you're also making things new. As the body of Christ, Lord, we want to be a place that has a reach in this community, but also beyond the borders of this town, this state, this country, to join you in the vastness of your kingdom, to join you in this great calling and mission that's global and historic. Lord, over the next months as we just prepare our hearts for what you have for us, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would give us wisdom and creativity, that you would teach us to love each other well, And Lord, that we would be good news to this community. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.